previously on Get in the Mecca. In the case of existentialism, I think the best place to look is 20th century philosophy, and one of the first main existentialist thinkers and existentialist philosophers being French philosopher Jean-Paul Sartre. What is being questioned in this part of the show, which I really enjoy, is just what has been underlying the narrative, what has been controlling the angels and everything. This arc works to challenge the narrative so far. This is Gat in the Mecca, the weekly anime and manga show where we take things one step further. I analyse everything from arcs to OPs to episodes in my wacky but enjoyable quest to make sense of all of it. Welcome back to Get in the Mecca, I'm your host Jamal today and in today's episode we return back to our Evangelion analysis. So if I'm correct I believe it was 7 episodes ago we discussed the descent arc of Evangelion, we looked into some existentialist philosophy and generally what the arc entailed, but in today's episode I want to zoom in a bit closer on something more specific and that is absurdism. This kind of follows off our look at existentialist philosophy in regards to Evangelion and the descent arc. However, we're going to go a bit further and talk about the ending actually of the main series. Although I do do this in arc order, do not fear because I will actually end up within this episode 40 to 50 range of the podcast. Discuss the bitter end arc, if you want to call it that, or just the final episodes of the show. But I honestly couldn't wait, so I wanted to talk about this part of the show and what it really entails philosophically, etc. If you do enjoy the show, feel free to leave a review, whether that's on Apple Podcasts or wherever you do get your podcasts. And it would be really lovely if you shared the show to someone who likes Evangelion, anime, manga, or anything like that. Really helps out the show and just shares all the analysis and I'd love to build a community around this sort of stuff. But anyway, here is the episode for this week. That is episode 40. I'm, I'm really happy about that. Episode 40 of Get in the Mecca, an analysis of absurdity and meaning in Evangelion. To start off today's episode, I must obviously give you my alerts in regards to what we're talking about, so that is a spoiler warning for the main Evangelion series, although I'm mostly going to be zooming in on episodes 25 and 26, because that is really where this philosophy comes from, and as a result it kind of expands across the entire show. So that is spoilers for the original series of Neon Genesis Evangelion 1995, and I will not be making explicit reference to End of Evangelion, as that isn't the core focus of this episode by any means. But there is a chance that I might run into it, so potential spoilers for End of Evangelion as well. I'm not going to be running into the rebuilds at all, but the original series and End of Evangelion, there may be spoilers for those. And so let us start with the analysis for this week, and I think a really good place to start is what 25 and 26 are about, and then we can go ahead and contextualize that with philosophy. So episodes 25 and 26 of Neon Genesis Evangelion, although you already know, I'm assuming, see the human instrumentality project which Gendo has been working on across the series come into action. The main characters are forced to question their own existence and find a reason for existing. 
We also come across this notion of the fixed existence which comes with piloting Eva. We talk a lot about this in regards to Shinji and Asuka quite a lot, but more specifically Shinji. And I guess if you relate that to our episode on existentialism over in episode 33, we can assume or I think it would be safe to assume that Sartre would refer to this as essence, and Shinji's essence is under question here. The label of which he's attaching to himself as an Eva pilot is one of which Sop would refer to as his essence as it's stuck to him, as he can't shake it off, and that is really the existential crisis of which he is going through, as once that is taken away, who truly is Shinji, and who truly are the multiple characters which we find over at Nerve and throughout the show. By the end of these episodes, Shinji learns that he doesn't have a truly fixed existence, as he manages to picture himself in a world of which he was not an EVA pilot, and in fact had what you can consider a normal life. As a result, he's able to break free from these shackles, and by the ending we have this congratulations scene. He's managed to come out of this notion that he's stuck in one place and he's stuck with the title or essence as an EVA pilot. Anno's ending to the original Evangelion series you can argue to be controversial and divisive. You may know that Anno received death threats for this ending, which is horrible in my opinion. When you consider that Anno went really far with this narrative, he pushed this narrative and story to one of which not many writers are able to do. He effectively managed to tear it apart and tear apart his characters and constructs, and even just the capability of the audience to think about what was going to come next. Anno and co were able to manually push this narrative so far, and some would argue that it's potentially too far, as within these final two episodes we're effectively left in these black spaces of thinking and what you can argue as we'll be discussing today, the absurd position. But that didn't go down well for everyone, but I'm going to try and today discuss the real genius and philosophy which comes out of this ending because I think it is usually easily overlooked and as I and as I've I don't want to say studied but looked back at this episode and these two episodes in combination as well as the philosophy behind them I think this is probably as good as it can get and I mean that in a great way this is so well put together and Anno's ability to pause the narrative in order to make us think about what we've been doing up to this point, I think is something which not many writers have the audacity or even pride to do. Being able to portray the existential crisis of Shinji, the absurd position which we're going on to discuss today, and so many other things within these characters' minds is something which is very hard to portray. How do you actually visually portray an existential crisis? How do you portray someone who consistently searching for meaning and is trying to find the meaning within their own life? That is something which I think is, I, I don't know how you would be able to visually portray that, but Arno is able to do that. And so I want to talk again today about how he does that and the philosophy behind it. As I've said multiple times this episode, the most in-depth philosophical idea which comes from episodes 25 and 26, in my opinion, is the absurd and absurdity. And in order to understand absurdity and absurdism, we have to go to one of the people who was essentially at the core of it all. He wasn't necessarily the founder of absurdism, but Albert Camus really managed to push absurdism as a philosophical concept as well as as well as other existentialist philosophers such as Soren Kierkegaard. 
So Albert Camus is a 20th century French Algerian philosopher who managed to make various contributions in the field of what we now know as absurdism, as well as existentialist philosophy. However, unlike, say, Sartre, which we spoke about over in episode 33 and on the podcast in general, he actually denies the term existentialist or to label him, which is kind of ironic when you consider existentialism and imposing roles and all that. But he does deny himself as an existentialist despite making those contributions. Probably one of the main principles of Camusian absurdism which we'll be looking at in regards to Evangelion is that there is this fundamental contradiction between the search for meaning, which is a natural human trait or at least a tendency for human beings to do, it's within our nature to search for meaning, and then the inherent meaninglessness of our chaotic universe of which we live in. This isn't to say that absurdism denies a meaning as a concept, but they don't believe that there is inherent meaning within the world of which we live in. This notion of seeking meaning and seeking a place within the world almost is something which we see across the Evangelion franchise. And it's something which the characters strive to do all the time. It's almost why they try to pilot Eva. They try to find meaning as a result of piloting Eva. They feel like piloting Eva is the only meaning they have at times. And even when they try to escape this very meaning of which they have, they constantly, because they don't have any meaning in their worldview, constantly run back to it. We see that with Shinji throughout the series, and that is why people mock Shinji, because he says that he doesn't want to pilot the Eva, but once he realizes that he doesn't have meaning, or doesn't feel like he has meaning, or in Sartre's terms, essence, that label is subtracted from him, and as a result, he goes back to the Evangelion, because it's the only thing of which he has, or feels as if he has. In regards to meaninglessness of the universe, I don't think it's something which is directly portrayed in the 1995 original series, but I, I definitely see that within the likes of End of Evangelion and how even the main instrumentality project itself manages to collapse and that's almost all nullified by death, which is something that Camus also discusses, that everything in itself, whether that's the search for meaning and joy within our own lives, that is collapsed by death. And the conclusion to End of Evangelion definitely works to show that, and even instrumentality as a concept collapses, it's nullified out of existence, it doesn't matter anymore, because it dies, uh, as we get to see through the iconic shot at the end. So I know I've dumped a lot of information and you're probably wondering, or I assume you're wondering, what does this have to do with the main series of Evangelion? And to that I would refer to the conclusion, or the actual conclusion to the series, where Shinji manages to realise that he doesn't have a fixed existence. That I think correlates very well to what Camus also comments on in regards to the absurd. And what I'm referring to is what Camus says in relation to ways to escape this almost complex of absurdity. And one of the main ways of which he suggests is to simply acknowledge it, to acknowledge the contradiction, to acknowledge the clash between the search for meaning of which we have as humans and the meaninglessness of the universe. And he suggests what we need to do, in fact, is to make meaning for ourselves and make meaning for the universe, as there isn't any explicit inherent meaning within it, but that isn't to say that we can't attribute meaning to the universe, and we can't attribute meaning to the things of which we do within our own lives. Shinji manages to do that by the end of the series. He manages to break out of these almost mental chains which suggest that he's stuck to the Eva unit. 
and that he has to constantly search for something to be attached to. But meanwhile, he doesn't need to be attached to this one thing. He doesn't need to consistently chase this one desire to be at one with the Eva and get pleasure as a reward from it. I think a really good quote which comes from Camus' book, The Myth of Sisyphus, probably I would think one of his most famous books, and what I also read on the internet to be one of the most iconic or most insightful lines in all of literature, is where Camus opens by saying, I draw from the absurd three consequences, which are my revolt, my freedom, and my passion. And I really like how he's able to acknowledge that we are able to gain some good from acknowledging the absurd and we're able to acknowledge and we're able to take something out of acknowledging that we're in this almost rat race for meaning for something which doesn't have meaning. We're able to gain freedom and joy and and exercise our passions because we aren't bound to this notion anymore. We've almost ticked the box and that's it. Shinji is able to do that by the conclusion. He's able to come to terms with everything which has happened, and Anu is able to visually portray that. And it's really interesting because this is where I think the podcast is going to almost switch up because it raises this question as to if the absurd applies to us as human beings, I'm not talking about necessarily Shinji and Ko, but us as people. What does that do for Evangelion as a series? And what does Evangelion mean as a series if that's the case? If we flip the situation on its head and we put ourselves within the absurdist position, so we are humans which are seeking meaning, that is our natural tendency, and we live in an almost meaningless world, let's assume that we are within that framework. Then what does Evangelion mean? What does anything mean almost? What? What does Evangelion mean? What does anything mean, to be honest? This is going to make me sound a bit like a mad conspiracist, but I've been reading some Anno interviews. There's one on Guan.net. It's a translated new type interview. It's probably what people refer to as one of his most controversial interviews, as he really criticizes things such as anime fans at the time. He goes quite in detail as to his intentions of the series, and it's, it's quite a blasé but very interesting interview. And the way Anno talks about Evangelion in those final episodes, he talks about how he wished or tried to do things in a very different way and people often dubbed that as incomplete whereas it wasn't necessarily incomplete it's just very flexible and could have been done in many different ways i think he refers to how and i'll link the interview in the show notes he discusses how he could have drawn oscar with a marker pen and that was it and put that in the, the episode and it would have been fine he also refers to how they didn't use cells for part of those episodes because it wasn't necessary, it wasn't what they wanted to do, and then people and fans dubbed that as unfinished, but are they necessarily unfinished? He talks about how they could have done an equally good job, and so I guess Arno kind of alludes to how the representations of these characters are so in flux and versatile, it could have been portrayed in almost any way. Towards the end, we even get a fourth war break, and so... Although it is, yes, a feature of postmodern art to do such a thing, but the fact that you could argue it could have been any other way makes me question whether Eva, in fact, is a representation of the absurd or, or playing on us within an absurdist framework. Within interviews and everything, he's spoken about everything from the Christian imagery within Eva just looking cool for the sake of it looking cool, and in some areas it doesn't necessarily represent something explicitly. 
to even criticizing anime fans and how data without analysis makes one very complacent. And it's it's weird because Evangelion is something which has been analyzed almost to death, and I'm only contributing to that. But there are people analyzing new parts of Eva every every day almost. Everything from character types to philosophy to theology to so many things about Eva. It feels like it's almost all been done, but to think that we're complacent makes it seem almost as if we're chasing something which doesn't exist, and we're chasing something which maybe doesn't make sense. So if we are within the absurdist position, if we are within a meaningless world and we are chasing meaning, what does Eva mean? Does even make sense? Are we simply attributing sense to it simply because we acknowledge the meaningless world, and so? We are giving it meaning, which is great, but does it have any inherent meaning in itself? As the legend himself, Arno, has said multiple times, he wanted to make a show with some mechas in it. He wanted that as the baseline, and so with that in place, maybe we simply are just giving it meaning for the sake of giving it meaning. Maybe that is just what we've tried to do all this time, but whether that truly exists and whether it's there. Is another question in itself, and I don't want you to think that I'm saying even Gellon is philosophically incoherent because with this Camusian argument, almost it makes sense within the absurdist point of view. But does even Gellon inherently make sense as a piece of art? That is another question which I can't answer, mostly because I don't think that the absurdist point of view would say so. Maybe art and the media and everything else simply just doesn't make sense, and we and our way of attributing sense to it is what allows us to guide ourselves through art and everything else. But whether it inherently has meaning can't really be defined. I've always viewed Evangelion as a piece of media which is about the human condition and human nature. It's a commentary on who we are as people and how different people manage to guide themselves throughout the world. And when they are tasked with something which challenges their very existence, it sees how they react to that and how they navigate around it. But I never really thought of whether Evangelion, in fact, is communicating to us. How we perceive art and the media, and maybe it's a commentary on us as people, or almost a social experiment on who we are and how we consume people going through an existential crisis. The weird thing is, and I'll give you, it'll tie into a brief story on me and my experience with Evangelion. But I remember finishing the series. It was within a half-term holiday. I I don't know which one, but this was definitely not this year or last year. But it was within a half-term holiday. That that was also the time I was learning to use chopsticks as well. So I'd practice using chopsticks while watching Evangelion as well. It was really weird. But I finished the series. And I I was confused as a lot of people usually are. I didn't think it was bad. I loved it. It's my favorite anime of all time. But I w- I was confused, and so I seeked answers. I I looked through the videos. I read the forum posts. I, I watched some of the analysis videos. As I said. And I started to feel like it was making sense, and I, I understood this piece of media. I was like, okay, I, I kind of get this. I'm not the expert, but I kind of get it. And then I started to do a bit more reading into philosophy. I started this rewatch as well, and I, I started to think, okay, I, I have a grip on this. I I get Evangelion at least to a decent level. Not again an expert. And I don't think it's necessarily healthy to call myself an expert per se in any anime or anime and manga in general. But I thought I understood this to a decent level. If someone told me or asked me about, well, what do you think Evangelion's about? I'd be able to give you a decent response. 
But now I've done this and I've done more research into the absurd, I'm really starting to question whether any of that really matters. And it's really ironic because we do arc analyses. I'm not going to say, oh, I'm going to scrap that because even Gellion doesn't make sense. But I feel like maybe I'm back to where I started, where I don't really know again. Did everything of which I once thought of make sense? Does it actually exist? Did I just impose it on it? And that is the meaning it gets. Does that apply to any piece of art of which I've looked at since I started watching anime or knew what art was? And the final thing is, and I'm no philosophy student, I just have an interest in philosophy, and maybe if there's someone that knows more about philosophy they can correct me on this, but does the absurdist argument in regards to Evangelion contradict itself? Because when you consider absurdism as a philosophy, and this search for meaning and uninherent meaning, if you consider, and I don't know again if this is right, if you consider absurdism as a, a part of the universe, an innate part of the universe which comes out of this contradiction, is absurdism in itself meaningless to some degree and as a result, well, inherently meaningless? And so doesn't that potentially rule out the meaning of absurdism and we're imposing this view of absurdism upon absurdism? I, I don't know. I, I might be just over-confusing things. I might have gone something really simple wrong here. But I guess you can argue that that opens up the realm of subjectivity in regards to Evangelion. And I think just to finish the main part of the analysis today, I think the main and biggest takeaway is that Evangelion is mind-bending, honestly. And maybe from your first watch and after doing a bit of research, you might think that you're on the right track. You know what this is about, been there, done that. These are the philosophies. This is what this imagery means. But every time I think I've done that, I don't really actually know or I, I think I know, but stuff like this pops up and it completely changes your perception of everything of which you've watched. I think there's definitely a benefit within re-watching Evangelion and I would highly recommend it to anyone who's a fan of the series. Whether you've watched it twice or five times, I, this is only my second rewatch. but if you consider maybe a new philosophy or a new approach in mind and you're looking for something specific, Rather than looking for details because you've probably spotted most of the details now, look at Evangelion with a different framework in mind. I think it will change how you view the entire show as is. So that is the analysis for this week. I'm going to, in closing thoughts, go through some of the key takeaways because I know there's a lot of information. But that has been the absurdist analysis of the Evangelion conclusion. Let's go to closing thoughts and talk about some key takeaways which we can get from the absurdist context of Evangelion. So here are just a few key things I think you can take away from this episode. The first one of which would be absurdism and Camusian absurdism. Camus suggests that there is this large contradiction between the search and pursuit for meaning which humans naturally do and the chaotic meaninglessness of the universe and world of which we live in. This applies to Evangelion in how our main characters search for meaning constantly throughout the series, and then Shinji specifically, and you can argue all of the characters by the end, realize that there isn't a need for this fixed existence, and they are rewarded for that by the conclusion of the series where we get the congratulations scene. This is almost an acknowledgement of the absurdity of the world, and they're able to create their own meaning for themselves, or at least they're able to find that part of them which is able to create meaning for their own lives, despite being within instrumentality. The other big thing is when we turn this on its head, 
Although either yes is philosophically coherent in my opinion, it's whether we, within the absurdist point of view, are attributing meaning to either because we are meaning-making, as we've acknowledged the absurdity of the world potentially, or does either have inherent sense. Within Camus' view of the absurd, potentially we are simply giving either a meaning because it is the way of which we do things, we search for meaning, and so potentially Evangelion is an experiment set up by Anno in order to make us search for meaning and attribute meaning to this text. And so the main thing I think you can take away from today's podcast is the perception of which we have of art. Is it one of which is secure? Do we know what art is? Or are we capable of fully understanding the media of which we're confronted with? And Hideakiano's Neon Genesis Evangelion most definitely challenges that notion. Thank you for listening to this episode of Guests in the Mecca. That has been episode 40. I remember when I was saying this is episode 30 of Guests in the Mecca and getting really excited, but now we're on episode 40. It feels really good. We're making a lot of progress on the podcast, and this is going to be the first half of season one when we get to episode 50, that is. And I have a few things I want to do between this episode 40 to 50 range, so I'm going to be working really hard on those. Hopefully you guys are enjoying the content, and... And if you do, feel free to leave a review, share the show around, it would be really appreciated. And just thank you for listening. It's, it's really, it is really lovely that there are people who come here every week to listen to me speak about anime in this weird style for about 30 to 40 minutes every week. But stay safe. Thank you for listening. I have been your host Jamal today and this has been Get in the Mecca. The music in this production goes as follows. 8-Bits Title Screen by Joth, Difference by Chasers Gaming, Mandatory Overtime by Joth, and Anomaly by Eric Medeas under soundimage.org.